musical makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Welcome to this episode of the Conquer Local podcast. And for the next couple of months, we're going to be bringing in leaders in the sales discipline, in marketing discipline, in fulfillment and delivery discipline, even billing and invoicing and how you tie it all together to make a successful organization and drive that shareholder value and drive monthly recurring revenue and retain customers and build raving fans for your organization. Sound great? I'm sure it does. Today, we're going to kick things off with uh, my favorite topic, which is sales. But more than just sales, the ability to attract new business. We're going to talk about the competitors that you're running up to on a daily basis and maybe learn a bit about them from the inside, the inside scoop on the sales competitors that you're pitching against and working against. And then how you can build that full life cycle to keep a customer and retain a customer. And what does product market fit really mean? To an organization. We're going to learn all about that from Josh Glantz. I met Josh about five years ago when he was the CEO of Single Platform. Single Platform sells a menu and listing sync solution for restaurants and they do it through channel partner motions. They also have a direct sales team. I had the privilege of, of meeting Josh on the floor of the Single Platform offices in Battery Park, New York City. And uh, at one time, over 200 sellers on that sales floor. I learned a lot in those trips um, and learned a lot from Josh. He's a great operator. He definitely is a salesperson at heart. You'll find that out in a few moments. Right now, he's the head of global business development at TripAdvisor. As in the past year, TripAdvisor acquired single platform and was working to integrate it into the platform before we had this massive thing called COVID-19 and that dramatically impacted the travel business and impacted hospitality and restaurants. Josh will touch on some of that as well, I'm sure, in the upcoming episode. So in a few moments, Josh Glantz, the head of global business development at TripAdvisor, our guest right here on the Conquer Local podcast. Welcome to season four of the Conquer Local podcast. And we are jumping right in with a young gentleman that I met a number of years ago um, at a company called Single Platform. And Mr. Josh Glantz is joining us. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, George. I think I'm older than you, but I appreciate the compliment about my age. Well, we'll, uh, we'll compare uh, driver's licenses at some point because um, I'm 70. Josh and I, I was, met. I was I was born on leap day, so I'm only about 14. So. <laughs> um, I think we're gonna have a very entertaining episode. Josh and I met a number of years back when he was leading the organization known as Single Platform, and most recently, Josh has been the head of global business development and new initiatives at TripAdvisor. So, Josh, if you could give us a bit of an overview of of you and your career, and you know how you ended up at Single Platform, and then how you transitioned to TripAdvisor, it would be great for our audience to understand how you uh, how you got here. Let me go, if, uh, if you don't mind, I'll go backwards in time. Sure. Um, uh, but, uh, but thank you. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Uh, TripAdvisor uh, acquired single platform one year ago, last December. 
and it was the uh, the culmination of a of an of a, a really wonderful turnaround of that single platform business. Uh, I led that business for four years, and uh, single platform was focused on uh, local listings and with a, a real heavy emphasis on restaurant menus. We integrated our platform with. Google, Yelp, TripAdvisor, OpenTable, Foursquare, Nextdoor, and about 100 other publishers where consumers search online to find places to eat. I will say we were very fortunate to sell the company in uh, last December before COVID hit because probably nowhere are people spending as much time looking for places to go out to eat, but instead they're looking now for places to take out or have orders delivered. We were actually in the process of testing a system to integrate with DoorDash, Grubhub, Postmates, and others uh, when we got acquired. And that was a great solution. Our customers were eating it up. No, actually, pun intended. So, um, <laughs> but but why, why don't I go back to, uh, I'll go back a little bit further. I'll tell you how I got to single platform. Yeah, if you and would, then, that that's a great story, and I'd love for you to articulate to our to our listeners how you arrived at single platform. Yeah, and then I'll, and then I'll talk about what we did to make single platform an attractive acquisition target. But so if we if we go back in time, um, I ran the digital business at a large direct marketing company in New York in um, in New York called Publishers Clearinghouse. Uh, those of you in the United States will be familiar with the big sweepstakes that's advertised on television and online uh, all the time for Publishers Clearinghouse. And I was running the digital business there. We made a couple of small acquisitions uh, in the four years that I built that the digital business there. And one of the investment banks that we worked with uh, was working on uh, selling another company to Constant Contact. So Constant Contact, the big email marketing platform that's based in the Boston area. And this investment bank that I became friendly with um, had, this, uh, had a company that they wanted to sell. Um, Constant Contact told them that they liked the company, but they weren't sure about the leadership team there. And this, uh, the investment bank asked me because this, uh, the company that they were trying to sell was a direct marketing company that had been one of our vendors at Publishers Clearinghouse. And they asked if I was interested in meeting with the team from Constant Contact and offering to be the leader of this business as they acquired it. And I said, sure. So I go to meet with the corporate development team at Constant Contact. This is in the summer of 2015. And uh, in the first three minutes of the conversation, the corp dev team at Constant Contact said, you know, we're not going to buy that company. And I said, oh, no. Like, I was all, I was really excited about <laughs> running this company within the Constant Contact family. Um, but in the same breath, they said, but we already own a company that, uh, that's doing really well, and, uh, but, but it has no leader, and it has not had a leader for more than six months. Would you be interested in talking to us about that? So Constant Contact essentially pulled a, a little bit of a bait and switch on this, uh, this investment bank that I was re essentially representing at the point. And, uh, and they hired me to run this company, which was single platform. Um, they had bought single platform back in 2012. It had grown quickly, but it had some, some challenges with customer retention. And, uh, and they were hoping that I could 
fix that because they said that um, they, they wanted single platform to operate on its own cash flow instead of having more investment dollars coming from constant contact. And so that's what we did. You know, let's let's talk a little bit just to give the listeners some context. I remember my first day meeting you at the single platform offices in Battery Park in New York. And, um, you know, you, you come into all the buildings to me look the same because I'm not from New York, but <laughs> you come into this big building and uh, you go up to the 11th floor and you walk off and you walk into, you know, every sales leader's dream because you built, you know, that that thing, that sales floor, when I walked onto it, it, it was exactly what everybody aspires. You've got you know, it's it's busy. You've got these teams um, that you've set up that have their own logos and flags and their own paraphernalia around where their teams are. Some are involved in maybe a stand-up or maybe there's an impromptu one-on-one happening or maybe somebody is coaching. I remember we spent a half an hour, you were, you were coaching me on what the best head, headset was for the team to wear so you don't get crosstalk. Um you know, you're a great operator and you're there as the CEO of Single Platform installed by the investment bank. And, and, um, and you know, essentially that thing is a sales machine. I just want to, I want to get that out there. Is that a fair assessment? It is. It, from the moment we started interviewing a candidate, we would try to uh, impress upon them how important our culture and our process was. And then when they started, it was, there was roughly five months of on the job. There was, there was focused classroom training on the job training back into the classroom for more training. Uh, and, and, and they were constantly exposed to that energy, that buzz, that, that culture of performance and, and, um, and collaboration that, that was really the hallmark of our sales team and sales process. And I, you know, I was sitting on the other side where we we had uh, worked a deal out where you would start to use some of our our platform and our products, and I, and I got to watch the units grow pretty much on a daily basis because you were closing business every day, and it was a very what what I found was it was a very scientific approach. It was a very data driven approach. There was a culture. You know, Jason Forrest, one of our alumni here on the Conquer Local podcast, talks about sales being a mental game. And, you know, why I want to really interrogate this with you is because I think that our, our listeners, wherever they may be, uh, need to understand about pure play companies like single platform that are going after a vertical like restaurants, that's their niche. And you are deploying every piece of, of technology and science and training. Like th- this is not a flyby. This is a very methodical organization. And that is what our reps on the, on the street or whether we're doing a Zoom call or a Google Meet or something like that, that's what you're competing against. So you need to really understand what the landscape is like. I saw some data, Josh, and I know that, that you're a data guy. And, and I saw some data the other day that I thought was really interesting as we move into season four. And our, our mandate always has been with the Conquer Local podcast to help sales professionals and sales leaders understand the space that we're in and and come away with maybe some learnings or some insight. But since 2010 to 2020, the the B2B software competitive landscape has grown 6x. Um, And I think that's probably conservative. And why this is important is every one of those B2B software companies 
has something like what Josh walked into the day he walked into single platform and that and the machine that you built out over your time there. So that's what we're competing against when we're on the street is every single piece of software out there has this, you know, scientific data-driven sales engine. So now as we go, we go back to how you built this thing, where did you see the gaps on day one when you walked into single platform and what did you set out to solve? So the the first thing that was an issue was that everybody liked to uh, brag about how single platform was an effective solution for small businesses to publish their content and their local listings and their menus across the internet. And that we could do that by doing all the work for our customers. So that do it for me model was both a strength, but ultimately it, it was really a weakness because we did all the work. And for the most part, our customers never had to interact with our tools, our system, our, our owner dashboard. And so that out of sight, out of mind aspect of it meant that our customers, when we would ask them how much they liked the product, they, they wouldn't even remember signing up for it. And so that's really the opposite of what SaaS companies are trying to achieve when they talk about achieving product market fit. And, and for those of you who don't know what product market fit is, it means that at least 40% of your customers, when asked, how do, they, how do you like the product? They will say they can't live without it. And so the first thing we did um, when, I, when I joined was think about what could we do for our customers? What product, service, messaging, et cetera, could we provide that would make them aware of what we were providing to them and how important it was for their business? And George, I'm going to give you some props here because we went into this relationship with Vendasta um, not because we wanted to uh, uh, just have another product, but because we needed a product that our customers would be engaged with all the time. And by, and what we, what we started delivering was this, uh, reputation management solution that would alert our customers every time they had a new review from a consumer across all of the publishers that we were integrated into. And because they were getting that alert they realized the value they were getting and that they couldn't live without it. So that was really critical. And, and offering a product or having a product doesn't mean you're selling it. We had that tailor-made sales process that was um, very impactful where we guided our, cu our customers through a, an understanding of the solutions we offered and the value they were going to get and the pricing. And probably 60% of the time that we had a restaurant owner on the phone, we could close a sale on that very first conversation. I'd like to understand how you were able to get that success. Was that the success when you walked in the door or was there an evolution to get to that close rate? There was certainly an evolution. I would say that evolution had, had um, uh, gone through several cycles before I even arrived. At single platform, if you think about it this way, we had between 60 and 80 sales reps on our sales floor making between 100 and 200 phone calls to restaurants every single day. There were, we had so many opportunities to test, 
and refine our sales pitch. And, um, and, and I will say that, you know, for better and sometimes for worse, a lot of the basic techniques had been taken from, um, uh, Jordan Belfort of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of, of Wolf of Wall Street, um, renown or, um, infamy, if you will. But, you know, the, the idea was we had a product that our customers needed. They needed to be discovered. Our basic platform was all about restaurant discovery. Uh, but then keeping them engaged with the product required some additional solutions. And that that's where reputation management came in. So it's it's interesting. Um, I I actually took screenshots the other day of a LinkedIn post where somebody had the actual scripts of the uh, of you know that movie that was written, so the Jordan Belfort straight line um, sales theory and the way that those scripts were written. I was it's I was thinking about that this morning before I came over to the studio. <laughs> um, so when we talk about that level of scripting and that level of messaging, um, you know there, there's a few learnings here. Number one, you, you are connecting with lots of customers, uh, potential customers. Number two, you you have an opportunity to test different messaging to see what works. Um, and then number three, you utilizing that that scripting and that messaging that is the straight line um, sales methodology from Jordan Belfort. Um, but I, I do want to highlight one thing, and this is why this episode is so important. You were selling to one of the hardest verticals to to retain. You know, restaurant, half of them struggle to stay in. This is even before COVID. Super demanding. Half of them struggle to stay in business because it's so competitive. And, um, you know, the budgets are up and down like a toilet seat, depending upon how much money they have to spend. Like, it's a tough business, the restaurant business. And yet you were able to have continued success and to retain those customers. Yeah, so... When I, when I arrived, the customer churn was approaching 4% per month. That's not a leaky bucket. That, that's a bucket with no bottom at all. And there's no way to drive profitability or sustainability in the business. And so in order to make the business profitable, we had to figure out how to retain our customers. And, and the big, so adding products that, that had that product market fit concept attached to them was was a big part of it but let's let's look at some of the other data that we look like you 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 talked earlier about how i'm a data person and so one of the things that we um that that we learned very quickly we had all the data we just weren't looking at it we we learned that if a customer bought our solution on a on a sales call and had an onboarding call within two weeks from our customer support organization, they were far more likely to retain with us for, for more than a year. And so we looked at every part of the process, both from the, the closing uh, statements in the sales call to the uh, email messaging that and confirmation emails that we would send immediately following the sales call to how we um, motivated our support reps to uh, pers- you know, essentially pursue these customers because even though we would, uh, even though we would schedule the onboarding call at the end of the sales pitch, as you say, you know, this is a very notoriously difficult uh, demo to not to not only to reach once but try reaching them twice 
So they would schedule this onboarding call and then they wouldn't show up. And so we had to, we worked with our customer success team to uh, really get much more persistent in, in following up with these uh, customers. And we drove up significantly the percentage of customers that went through an onboarding call. And that, that helped dramatically in our retention. For a lot of our other customers, we, we actually saw that it was not the new restaurant owner who would be a, uh, a, 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 an ideal target. You, would, you might think that somebody first opening their door, that's when they need us. But people who are opening up their first restaurant, especially, they think that opening their door, turning on the ovens, putting a sign over the door is what's going to bring in the restaurant consumer. And, and so you need them to get a little dose of reality that they need to do a, they need to do something, something so minor, even as minor as a $99 a month subscription to ensuring that their content is out there so that they can be discovered. So when we, when we look at the culture, um, you know, I, just to paint the picture, we've got Wolf of Wall Street floating out there in this episode as a mental picture. Um, <laughs> you, we have all of those um, sales reps on their headsets. There's a picture because we were talking about the headset. And it is really a mental game, though, because you're making all those calls. You're talking to all those restaurants. Tough, tough industry to be calling into. How did you keep the culture positive when I'm sure there were a lot more no's than there, there were yeses? Well, again, we we would talk about that up front in the interviewing process we really tried to screen for grit and resilience people who had never experienced rejection uh, or not or had not experienced repeated rejection were usually screened out of our hiring process people who were willing to um you know for lack of a better term burn the boats and, and just think about moving forward. Those were the people who were always going to be successful with us. And it's, and so that, yeah. that is an interesting individual when you get them, because if you have that personality where you're, you're very driven, doesn't matter what anybody tells you, I'm going to accomplish the goal. There also comes some challenges usually with that type of personality and managing them and coaching them. You know, you think that, uh, people who, that New York is such a big city, that's where we were based, that's where our team was, that New York is full of amazing, like intense, aggressive people that would make great sales reps. One thing to think about though, that we always, that we always looked at was, yes, there are some and, and you, can, you can get them and they could be really successful, but being from New York sometimes acted against you because if you were from New York and your parents were from New York and you had a place to go, then a little bit of failure was okay. You could, you could throw the book down and walk out and go back home and live with mom and dad. What was, what was on the other hand, if, if you had somebody that was moving across the country after right out of college and had no backstop and no safety net, they were going to work harder and, and instinctively be grittier. We had, we had a, great, a, a great story of, uh, of a young man who was from um, the Central Valley of California. His family owned a cattle ranch. And yet after college, he got in his car and drove across the country. 
he, he had interviewed with us over Zoom and moved across the country in his car. He actually lived out of his car for the first week or two that he was in New York and then sold it and had no way of, he had no safety net. He had nowhere <laughs> else to go. He had no choice but to be successful. Please tell me he was the top rep six months later and got a nice place. He was one of, he was consistently one of our top oh, 10%. That, that makes my heart feel better in this uh, time that we're in to hear that those success stories are still out there. So find somebody. Um, so were, you were hiring a lot of rookies and just teaching them from the ground up. Is that where you found success in building out the organization? We, we found that it was a lot easier to teach people from the ground up. Uh, we, we had some success with people who, who were coming into their second job, but it had to be somebody who hated their first experience. If you had somebody who came from another sales organization and they had some success and they would talk about how great their previous manager was, it would be, a, it actually would be a lot harder to get them to drop their old habits and adopt ours. So we, we like people who we could mold from scratch. So one of the questions that I like to ask um, is how things have changed. So if we look at the moment that you walked into the doors at Single Platform in that new role that that you know you'd been essentially headhunted uh, for, um, to today, what do you think the big change in sales has been in that time period? Oh well, <clears throat> it depends if you're talking about a an outbound transactional model like single platforms, and there are plenty like that or more enterprise or inbound, uh, you know, companies that have inbound. I would say the biggest, the biggest changes are really stem from regulatory issues like privacy, do not call lists, the GDPR uh, regulations, and, and your ability to contact your prospects. Um, th those would be the biggest ones. The, the other one is just purely, um, practical in, in that if you have a if you have a telephone sales business either transactional like single platform or enterprise more people have do not call lists they have uh, they have block you know uh, spam blockers on their phones they have um, uh, they are getting so many cold calls from salespeople that it, it is just, it is exponentially more difficult to break through. And, and that's just talking about phone sales. When you're talking about inbound sales, where, where you have demand generation uh, capabilities, where you have outbound marketing that drives people to you, it is, it is again, a, a, an attention-based economy. And your ability to break through is, again, exponentially more difficult. Well, and we, again, going back to some of the data that I was sharing earlier on the B2B software competitive landscape, also inbound traffic has experienced a 39.5% decrease in the last decade. So in 2010, there was 36% inbound traffic. Now we're down to 22% in 2020. Um, and, and part of that also is more competitive. Um, and you know, I, all I have to do is open my email and you can see all the inbound that's, that's coming my way. Here's piece of content, download this thing. Like it's 50 of them a day. Um, and, and that's impacting all sorts of groups. We had a guest a couple of episodes back that said that 
just picking up the phone and trying to get a hold of a customer actually is a competitive advantage. I noticed that you mentioned cold calling in 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 your comments. Um, you know what what was an effective way to get a hold of a customer? Were, were you using you know communities? Were you using think tanks? Were you using like how were you breaking through that clutter? Persistence, <laughs> more than anything else, we we saw our connect rate and um, and and actual conversation rate go down consistently over time, and that's why when I when I mentioned earlier that we had sales reps making two hundred dials a day, that was an effort designed to simply get a hold of and schedule five or six demos for the next day. It was, it was an, an incredibly difficult job. And the amount of rejection was, uh, was incredible. You would get no's, hang ups, curses in your ear, 20, 30, 50 times a day. If anybody picked up the phone and, and you asked a question earlier about how we kept people with a, a positive attitude beyond just screening for grit and resilience. Uh, what you made a point of mentioning the, the coaching that we did. We had managers who would plug into a phone with our um, junior sales reps and sit in and, and coach them while they were actually in a conversation to try to help them break through. And then we had a whole system and we continued to look at ways to enhance our, our motivation and rewards on top of the cash comp that we were offering our, our sales reps. So, so we would have contests on a week, daily, weekly, monthly basis. And some of them were really creative. We also had uh, rewards for being a top five sales rep every month. We would have rewards for being hitting 100% of your goal. So there were these many, many layers of rewards that we would build into our our financial, um, our financial model overall. And I, you know, we've had guests on the, on the podcast talk about this old line that compensation drives behavior. So you, you weren't just putting that comp in there to give money away because, you know, margin is important in running a business, but it was more around, you'd find a problem and you would put a spiff or compensation incentive against that problem to solve it. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly, uh, what you, what you're hearing. And, the one thing to just keep in mind, if you're a sales leader or, or you're running a company and you're looking at ways to create spiff programs or sales motivation or incentive programs for your team, sales reps are wily. They will there will always be a sales rep who will figure out how to um, uh, maximize their uh, their opportunity and potential with a sales motivation program. And and once one of them knows it, they all know it. No, oh, it's a great point. It it also is the reason why we want them as salespeople. Um, because, right. you know, they're, they're good problem solvers. They think outside the box. They can think on their feet right with the customer and deal with an objection. So I'm, I'm always blown away by sales leaders that come and say, hey, uh, Johnny figured out a way to game the comp model. I'm like, <laughs> oh, is Johnny the top rep? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. 
Um, single platform sells to TripAdvisor. Well, well-timed uh, purchase, by the way. Congratulations on that. You then moved to TripAdvisor in this role. And, you know, I, I feel for any organization that has been displaced by COVID, I don't think that people at TripAdvisor were running around two years ago going, yeah, global pandemic is going to come and it's going to ruin all of the travel, um, where, which was, you know, nobody saw that coming. Um, I'd love to understand a little bit about what you've saw inside that organization as the the realization that, you know, global pandemic impacted our our vertical. It, it can't have been fun, and and just like to learn a little bit more about that experience. TripAdvisor has has an extra, an extraordinary audience of restaurant owners who go to TripAdvisor every month and every week to look at consumer reviews. And so they have a captive audience already, and they have, and it, they have the most incredible audience of consumers that go to TripAdvisor to look at restaurants, and and look at restaurant menus. And so we were already partners with TripAdvisor, and it made sense for us to uh, uh, plant single platform inside that restaurant owner management center, where. It, Hundreds of thousands of restaurant owners were already looking at their reviews, and now they could also look at ways to enhance discoverability for their restaurant through single platform. And so it was a uh, it, it was a, a great move. We added a self sign up capability, which um, single platform had never had before. So mm-hmm. now restaurant owners could sign up and put down their credit card, and they could be on board with single platform in a matter of minutes. Well, I knew that we would get some great insights from Mr. Josh Glantz and the former CEO of Single Platform, leading global business development at TripAdvisor. And uh, Josh and I have known each other for a number of years. We probably could talk sales and, and how to extract value from customers for a long time. But I wanted to get some of those key insights um, forward to our listeners as we talk about you know, that sales use case, salespeople, how they're going to customer. And, you know, the reason why we would want to talk to somebody like Josh is this is your competitor. The um, the SaaS software companies that are phoning into these clients, doing Zoom meetings, sending emails, LinkedIn messages, those are the folks. And, you know, we'll go through some key takeaways here in a few moments, but we do want to let our guests go. Josh, I know you got to run to another call. Thanks for some of your valuable time and good luck as, as you continue to move through this journey. And we appreciate the insights you're able to share with our listeners here today on the Conquer Local podcast. Thanks again for having me, George. As you can tell, Josh and I have sat and had numerous conversations around the science of sales, the science of, you know, how do we how do we rip apart a process and see where the holes are and and increase that retention. And I and I'd always admired the way that he looked at his customer base and looked at how single platform could add value to retain those customers, to solve more of their problems, and and really to build happier customers. They, the only way you get an upsell is if you have a customer that trusts you and feels that you're solving their problems. That, that really is the key. You know, when we think about the way that things have changed, we talk a lot about adding more products, which we all know is solving more problems for the end customer. But some of the things that Josh talks about we may be impacted by in the coming years, which is this, you know, he mentioned the the GDPR thing, which is a, a European privacy issue. But now it is starting to come, you know, worldwide as as the um, the defining uh, 
process around privacy. And it's going to impact us because you can't just buy a call list and start hammering the phones because, you know, people can just opt out. Um, it's, you know, harder to impact people through inbound motions because so many people are doing it. It's a very crowded space. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting to hear his insights into, no, we just built a culture where you just never give up. <laughs> and, and that level of persistence is what's really defining success where you just expect it's going to take 10 calls to get a hold of a customer. We're going to really try over the next 12 months here in season four to talk to more experts and to understand how important that level of persistence is. And then the other thing is, you heard from Josh, it was easier just to hire people that hadn't done it before and teach them from the ground up than go find people that were proficient in this motion and then maybe try to back them out of habits that they have. I've heard people say, you know, change bad habits, but I don't necessarily think that it's always bad habits. It's the habits that were created in whatever that sales rep was doing before that might not align to what Josh wanted, you heard time and time again in the single platform motion. And you could see that he caught something and he didn't really say it, but behind the scenes and, and you read between the lines, the bright lights, big city of New York, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to change the world. And he was able to attract those type of people. And he said grit seven times in the broadcast and uh, that grit and then the rigor to be able to go back to the metrics to see where you're winning or losing, and then to build a culture through either spiffs or comp models. Compensation drives behavior. That's a key takeaway that you can uh, you can pull from Mr. Josh Glantz. We appreciate you uh, coming and listening to this episode where I'm sure you found some value there. If you'd like to continue the conversation with Mr. Glantz or any of our guests that we've had over the past four seasons in the Conquer Local podcast, you can do that in the Conquer Local community. It's a place where you can have a conversation with our guests. You can ask them questions that maybe I didn't think of during the broadcast and where you can give us, the team that puts together the Conquer Local podcast, ideas on what we might want to consider in future episodes that will help you on your quest to Conquer Local. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, George Leith, and Colleen McGrath. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Recorded and mixed at Sound Lounge by T-Bone. 